0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star,
1: Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now, up to to bat, bat, Brett Boone.
0: I can talk hit and Mac all day, all night, and it's not necessarily the physical. And, oh, you're dropping your elbow, do this, this, this. I love talking, and I learned this later in my career when I moved back to Seattle in the early 2000s. I really got to a point where I thought through 162 games, and I had a plan, and I had plan that I executed each and every day and I wasn't always successful but over the long haul I felt like it gave me the best chance to be successful for me Mm -hmm. and I learned that but that came with time and that came with a lot of failure and a lot of ups and downs and a lot of humble pie you know Edgar Martinez and myself sat down and we came up with a plan for me and I put it into action and it worked and, and at that point, you know, I was a 10-year veteran and I'd been through a lot. I've been through some great years and some tough years. And I was willing to learn. And it really helped me a lot. And 2010, you took nine years in between the uh, last time you played. You went back onto the field in uni. You signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. Your Tony La Russa brought you back as the hitting instructor. You were there for three years. Yeah. How was that for you? I can tell by the way you talk, you love talking the game. You love passing on knowledge to young hitters. How is that for you, though, coming back nine years in between? And it's not just any hitting coach. And I hate to quit pounding on this, but it's what you did in 98 still in 11 years later. It's still fresh. People around you know. They know the whole thing. They watched Mm -hmm. it. And it's not just some hitting coach coming in. It's Big Mac. And not only that is how beloved you were. In St. Louis. Take me through that first day. You're back on the field. Was it surreal? How did people engage? Yeah, with
1: it was surreal. It was uh definitely a learning on the job experience, I'll tell you that. Cause it's like if you think you can just walk in there and just <laughs> be a hitting coach or just a coach in general, um, especially being out of the game for nine years, it's uh and Tony told me that. He just Tony had been trying to get me back there for years, not as a coach, but coming to the spring training, and I just I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Um, you know I could have I could have easily played another five years I just retired I retired because I got just tired of being injured and then I, I grew up in the game where um, I saw Reggie Jackson, I saw Don Baylor um, I saw quite a few players that just hung on at the end of their career and I always told myself as a young player I'm not gonna do that and so I, I could have stayed after 2001. I actually had a, a two-year deal that I never signed for $30 million that I walked away from, you know, I could have played at least the two years, but I know I could have played for another five, but I just got tired of all that, all the stuff. And I, I retired. I got married, started a family, did some things that obviously I wanted to do to get away. And, and then Tony, you know, asked me to come back and I come back and it, it was surreal. It was like, you walked in there and you, you, the one thing that you, when you're a player and, you have Edgar that helps you out. You know, I had a few players that helped me out too, but it, it really is about you. You know, it's about you, your preparation and what you can do for yourself. And you, it's not being selfish. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of selfishness, but you have to be that way in order to prepare yourself to be good, to go help your ball club. If you're helping yourself, you're helping the ball club out. Right. So, so, but the, the, the eye-opening thing was coaching was, you have to try to get in touch with 15 to 20 to 25 hitters throughout the year maybe more I mean obviously now it's even more they bring up guys left and right and the biggest thing is you got to find out what makes them tick and it's really it's not about the physical it's about mental you got to figure out if this guy is soft you got if this guy's tough you know what's it? And to me, you show your true colors through failure. You throw your true colors when you're 0 for 15, 0 for 20. You show me what you're gonna do. If you're a, you're a calm, a calm, collective guy, so you know you're gonna get out of it. I mean, that's that's that, those guys are easy to work with. But the majority of the kids today are panic. They panic, and they 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 want to fix. They want f- a a really quick fix, and nothing's a quick fix. I don't care who you are. Listen, I've talked to and I've stayed in touch through the years through guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Guys are still playing today. If I can show you the text on my phone with these big leaguers right now, the stuff that they've texted me throughout the season, and the insecurity that these guys have, the insecurity these guys have that are making 20, 30 million dollars a year that are still playing today, if I showed you those things, you would, and I tell young kids today when I still work with them, it's like they go, No way. I'm like, This is what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter if you're 17 years old or if you're at the end of your career at 35. It's like every year you go into the game, you're, it, it there's almost this like little like insecurity, like, How's my year going to be? Cause never a, a year is never the same. So, my thing is when, when you get into coaching is, how do you try to get that across to all the hitters? And then on top of that, who's going to take it in? Who's going to believe it? Um, it's impossible that everybody gets along. I mean, you know, it's it's oil and water. It's just like, you know, not, you know, everybody's a teammate, but doesn't mean everybody likes each other. It doesn't mean everybody's going to understand each other. And that's the toughest thing today. It's like everybody has their, one of the toughest things today is everybody has their own hitting coach. Everybody has their own pitching coach. I don't give a rat's ass if you got another hitting coach. Let me tell me what you're working on so I can watch it. And I'm going to tell you something that I'll guarantee it. Your hitting coach, I can see shit that your hitting coach can't see because I can see little fingernail. I can see things that are off in a heartbeat that's going to throw a swing off. That I have an eye for that. I I really do. And it's like half the time when I'm talking to people I'm, and that, and their their parents are around or other coaches around, and I see little things and. And I'm a stickler the small things because small things lead to big things. And if you don't stamp out the small things, those big things are going to create a huge problem for you. And so these are little things that when I got into coaching, you start bringing on these young kids. And then I find out I find out throughout the year, like, no, these kids have heard this stuff. And then I'm thinking, man, I really like this job because to me, I wish I had a coach like that. When I was playing, I had some great coaches, don't get me wrong. But the majority of the hitting stuff that happened throughout my career was all self-done. It was all me figuring out myself. It was all about me swinging in my room. I say this all the time to these kids. I used to swing in my room almost every day in the offseason with a fungo. So I understood the path. I understood feeling my under... Hitting in bare feet is probably one of the best things you can do to understand where your feet are at. If you're in your bare feet, your feet have to work a little bit differently when they're in shoes or spikes or whatever. And you want to know your base. You want to know your lower half. Everything's dictated from the feet up, feet, ankles, knees, hips. Stronger, more secure your lower half is, the faster your hands are going to be. If your lower half is insecure, it is impossible for your hands to be fast at all. Impossible. Your hands are only as fast as how secure your feet are in the ground. And I will challenge anybody to that.
0: That, That's, I mean, that is an awesome. And you're right. You don't hear that every day. I watched you through your career. People have commented on, you know, asked me about Mac. And I said, Mark was different when he was in Oakland. And -hmm. you look at your stance look at where your toes are. Oh, yeah. In St. Louis, you were more spread out and your toes were opposite direction.
1: Well, my toes, listen, it, to me, it was a feeling. So It
0: was a big bat. You went from that big
1: bat, skinny <laughs> handle, to
0: in St. Louis, I remember picking up one of your bats, and it was similar to what I was using. We were well, both, and okay. I'm going, I remember Mac having the skinny handle, big barrel in Oakland, and all of a sudden, you. I think you were like a 4-2 in, in St. Louis, right
1: or wrong? I mean, four two as far as bats, four two,
0: bat? 34 inch, thirty. No, no,
1: yeah, and I, no, I used the same bat, uh, the same bat I used my whole career. It's just Rawlings in sort of changed. Yeah, Rawlings sort of okay. changed. Uh, so when I was in Oakland, it was a it was a Rawlings two fifty six B, and then when I got to St Louis, they they changed it to Mac two fives. So it actually was a Davey Lopes bat. That I got in 1984 in instructionally. So my attorney at the time—I didn't have an agent; I had an attorney—and he got me a deal with Rawlings, which was unheard of for the minor leagues. I got 24 real, real bats—not those balsa wood of Louisville bats they used to give all the minor leaguers. So I got 24 Rawlings bats. So they, had, at the time, they saying, you need to pick a bat, and so Oakland sent down a bunch of all the bats from the big leaguers left over. Uh, from the uh, 84 season and I went in the bag and I picked it out and it said Davy Lopes. And on the bottom the knob, it said 256B. I I was like, wow, this is nice. It's sort of a medium handle. It's like a medium barrel. And I went and played the game. And I think I had a home run or two that day. And I like, this is my bat, 34 and a half, 33 inches, never changed it. It got to the point when somebody brought it in and you know, they, they whoever wrote, Back in the day, somebody took a pen and wrote on the knob of the bat. They wrote McGuire, spelled it out, and then they wrote what the what the ounces were. And I'll tell you what I could, and it had to be thirty three ounces. I could I could feel if it was thirty two point five. I could feel if it was thirty three point five or whatever it was. I just knew, um, and I used that bat. Now Rawlings, throughout the years, the label, the little the. Now I don't think they have the labels. The, the little stripe they put on it back mm-hmm. in the day, early days, it was down more towards the handle. But then something happened with the the league office, and they and so they put the label up a little bit higher. So it actually made the barrel look a little bit smaller. And then now I don't even think they have this those little round stickers on them or the the paint on them. So it was the same bat. I used the same bat throughout my whole career. Now, if there's there might be a game or two that I probably if I didn't have one available, I just picked up whoever's bat, you know. But to me, it was just like that bat, that Rawlings bat was everything to me. And um, I don't know about you. It's like, did you ever use like a, a weighted bat or swing a weighted bat or put a donut on or anything like that? See, I was I was I was from the school. And I know they've done studies on this. It proves absolutely nothing. If you use a weighted bat and then go up there and hit, you're not faster at all. And and I and I heard that really young in my career. If I ever did put a weight on my bat, it was just to do. I always did this thing with my wrist because I wanted my wrist to be as flexible as possible. And so I just did that. And then I never, I hardly ever took a practice swing on the on-deck circle. And I get people ask me that all the time. Why do you, What do you think my answer is? You, why do you think I didn't take a practice swing on the on-deck circle? I've got, I've got no <laughs> idea. I didn't want to waste any. So it's like you swing so much, why am I going to swing more in the on the on-deck circle when I can spend my time concentrating on that pitcher, the release, the fingers, and... You know stuff like that. So, um, I would yeah. use a I would use a <clears throat>
0: a donut, and it's almost like we talked about golf earlier. And by the way, I did check out the skills challenge that you won, and that was very yeah, impressive to beat to beat the big boys. Um, a big I, would a on my bat. I would put a weight on my bet. I would put a weight on my bet just to almost like I'm late to the range. I got to play today. I'm getting older. My back hurts, so I've got to loosen up. So how can I get loose as quick as possible? Well, it seemed like I wouldn't grab a a driver or an iron. I'd probably grab something heavier. Like I'd probably grab three irons because I don't know why psychologically it feels like it's going to stretch me out quicker. That's the only reason I never believed in put this heavy weight on it and make the bat feel lighter. Believe me, Mac, for me my problem wasn't swinging hard and <laughs> yeah. i didn't need i didn't need a lighter bat i needed a heavier bat to keep jack right cuz slowly but down
1: I, all right. But I
0: think it wasn't anything psychological. It was just more, no, loose and, all right, I need something for me to do on deck. I wasn't a big guy that would sit there and take a lot of swings on deck. I might take a few, but it was just more, all right, I'm loose. I feel hot, ready to go. Now let's do it. And now I'm, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm watching the pitcher Because my whole thing was based on my approach to hitting later in life was based on who's hitting in front of me, who's hitting behind me. What's the track record with the guy? If Edgar's hitting behind me, we've already had this discussion a half hour earlier. What's his history with this pitcher? Mm -hmm. If I got a base open, are they tending to go after me? They're going to pitch around me, depending on what he's done off them. Well, who's in that bullpen? Who's coming in? What have I done against them this year? What have I done against them this series? What kind of pitcher? How are they going to try to probably get me out? Now I put all that, formulate it, and now each and every at-bat, that was my approach, and that's how I approached everything. And I didn't waver. I didn't go up there and, and abandon my approach because he threw a pitch I didn't think he was going to throw. And sometimes I I tip my cap and go, "You yep. out, you out." Chess played me there, but in the long haul, I think I'm going to win. And that's that's right. where my my hitting approach came from.
1: Yeah, you said that. You know, it, you can tip your hat to. I remember Doug Rader um, was my hitting coach in '92 in Oakland. And when I met with him, because 91 was the worst year of my career, 201, and just really stunk. And it was eye-opening, very humbling. So I made some changes. And to your point of, like, you know, pin-toed, leg kick, and then now more into the ground. That's when I started learning into the ground and, you know, the strengths built from the ground up. But Doug said to me, he goes, and it was a light bulb that went off. It was as simple as this. Do you understand that that pitcher's – getting paid a lot of money to get you out. And, you know, and some days he's going to get you out. And I went, that was like light bulb went off. I was like, it just, it just made things so much like smoother and understanding that that guy's going to stick it up. You know what? And that's okay. Now, how do I get over that? I process it. How did he do it? Did I get myself out or did he just overpower me? Did I outthink myself? And that's why I always lived. I always lived like 35, 40 minutes away from the ballpark because I enjoyed driving home, listening to no music, going over what happened that night. And then by the time I walked, drove into the garage, closed the garage door, I walked into the house that day was over with. And I started thinking about the picture tomorrow. Yep. And then it's like, you talk to, to the point about coaching, like you start talking about this to kids, they understand it, but they're like, wow, that's a lot of work. And you go, yeah, it's a lot of work. This is your freaking job, dude. Like, like, why wouldn't you use every resource possible and do the things that you, how do you know how great you, you could be now you're really good, but how do you know how great you can be if you started adapting this into your, into your thought process? rather than thinking about, where is my hands? Where am I mechanically? Let's go look at my swing all the time. When 99% of the time you make an out, it's usually what you swung at. It's like, and it's usually a pitch that you're not capable of doing it. And when you go over 20, I will guarantee you, let's go look at your pitch selection. And if your pitch selection sucked, so then why are you worried about your mechanics? Your mechanics are going to be shit if you're swinging at pitches that you can't, aren't capable of hitting. So why would you even think about You throw the rosin it? Bag. swing
0: at the so, rosin
1: bag. Right. It's like, so you're making something out of nothing when it has to just go to your pitch selection. You just understand that and how that, like, simplifies things. And then to the point of what Doug Rader said, it's like, he's going to get you out sometimes. It's going to be really tough. Okay. Turn the page. Let's go down to the next play, and then I'll guarantee you the next time I face that that pitcher, if he stuck it up my, you know what? I know he's not going to be as on as he was the night that he stuck it up my butt. It's just like, hey, I have a great idea. He's not going to change pitchers. Really, don't change that much. Oh, so they're not going to invent pitches over the over the year. Some do, but they're, you know, they're not totally convinced that they're going to be successful with a new pitch during the season. That's why I like spring training is sort of a crapshoot because guys are always experimenting on new pitches, but then when the bell rings, they go right back to their old faithful. And so yeah, they might have at a fourth or fifth pitch. I sit there and go, "All right, great. <laughs> you're gonna you're only gonna have one or two pitches throughout the you know, that night that day you pitch that you're gonna have. You're gonna be dialed in on. Um, but these are all things that like when I was coaching and and when I still teach today. These are things that bring attention to these young kids that they don't know because they don't speak this language anymore. It's um, it's all about let's look at the computer, let's look at your swing path, let's look at your exit velocity, let's look, which is totally fine. That's that's great. I'm not saying no good, but I will guarantee you if you put more concentration on your game plan, and what you see and how you got yourself out, how you got hits. That's going to outweigh looking at a computer, looking at your, your, your swing angles, or well, why am I not keeping my bat in the barrel? Oh, well, 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 we can go to that later, but let's see what you're swinging at first. Take
0: your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash business gold card. Well, I think, too, it's like to these young hitters, especially young hitters, A mature veteran guy, maybe he can handle this. But from a psychological standpoint, when you're a young, you haven't established yourself yet, you're just breaking in. These exit velos and all that stuff, I think, can be a detriment because all of a sudden, your exit velo, hey, this offseason, I was averaging 97, and wait a minute, it's only only 95.8. Their brain's spinning when it shouldn't be thinking about anything like that. Is that ball... Is that ball squared up and did you make the outfielders turn their back into that right center gap? That's good. We don't care what the exit velocity is. You hit that ball 10 rows deep into the seats. Is that good? Well, I've never hit a homer that wasn't good. So, yes, it's good. Does it matter what my exit velocity is? Is this a video game or is this about results? Putting a good swing on the ball and seeing a result because of it. So, I just think too much information in the wrong hands can be a detriment to not only their their game but their development because they're so worried. I go down to the cages and my son's getting ready for you know a, a minor league season. You got four or five other guys in there and they got that Rap Soto up and everybody's you know every swing and it's loud in those cages and I mm-hmm. can tell that ball smoked. What's the first thing? It's Rap Soto. What? How fast was it? And and you're expecting big things, like you said, 122. Uh, that ball that you hit to me was 120 <laughs> plus. But if it was 118, you'd be thinking, "Shit!" Two years ago, that ball <laughs> I hit to Booney would have been 122. I'm losing it. You know, I right. just don't. I think there's a lot of downside to. I think there's a lot of upside to data and and oh yeah, having as much information, but having <clears throat> too much information sometimes there can be a negative to that side.
1: Well, I, I, I totally agree with you. It's, but that's, you know, they can't fault these kids for this because this is how it's been t- is being taught today, which right. is really unfortunate being the only way that's going to be taught. And then you have somebody like me come in or you come in and start talking about the mental part of it. The unfortunate, not that these kids aren't going to get it, but the unfortunate thing is it's like, it's like most of these kids, especially the big leaguers today, the young ones, you know, the guys that have been there for a while. They, you know, they, they can do it themselves, but the young kids, they, they, they have successful minor league careers, right. And they get to the big leagues. What happens when they get to the big leagues to your point, they're throwing all this information that just gets their mind going like this. And I'm like, going, wait a minute. They didn't get all this information in the minor leagues. And they were freaking studs. Why are they struggling in the big leagues? It's because they get in the box and they're thinking about all the fucking information you're giving them, which is absolutely, it's like, what? Let's just simplify it. What did you do in the minor leagues? I got up there. I had my game plan. I'm going to do it. There's no reason for you to, and, and, what, and then what happens after that? They get, they get, they go 0 for 10 or for 15 Next thing you know, they're working on whatever they are working on their swing, their exit velo. And I sit there and go, wait a minute, it's what you're swinging at. And where's your mindset? What are you swinging at? Your game plan. And what's your mindset? Again, if you're swinging at shit or you're thinking about a percentage rather than thinking about your location and your hot zone, why would anybody? in their right mind, get off their hot zone of what they're really good at during any pitch during the ball game. Why? Why would they do that? Oh, I'm going to think about a percentage when the guys, when I'm 0-2, this guy, oh, I was totally 85% slider down and away. Why the hell would you look for a slider down and away? That's not even in your hot zone. Listen, bottom line is you will become a successful major league hitter. Guaranteed by hitting pitchers mistakes. You are not going to be a successful major league hitter. If you hit pitchers pitches, you will right. be, you'll have like a cup of coffee and you'll be gone guaranteed. But the problem is, is the information that you're usually given them is all about what the pitcher gets you out on rather than what is it? Where does a pitcher get his fucking tits lit? Where does he get his tits lit? Where does this slider back up to? Where does this fastball back up to? Where does he miss with it? Whatever it may be. You know what? And I will I'll bet you guess 90% of the time it's probably in your hot zone. And you're you're thinking about something out of your hot zone when you're behind the count. When you have to think about your hot zone, you just open it up a little bit. Listen, you only have 17 inches to work with, right? Right? 17 well, 19 inches now because they, they give you an extra inch with the the computerized strike zone. So like right. it's 19 inches, not 17. So it's like you're only going to be able to be really good by hitting eight and a half inches of that plate. You you are not going to be very good by hitting 17 inches. You will not. That's called in between. And you'll be finding yourself having a cup of coffee and see you later. So in order for you to not, it's like, do not, if anybody gets anything out of this, do not leave your hot zone. That's all I can say. And if you ask kids today what their hot zone is, I bet you Majority of them probably can't even tell you what their hot zone is. They probably can't tell you what they're really good at. I know what I was really good at, middle, down, and in. Man, I was really good at that. And then what were you really good at? What was your hot zone? Jordan? For me, my hot
0: zone was <clears throat> bit up and away from me. And I'd looked there and I had the ability to 1-2-0 because I got to a point in my life where I could hit a ball out of right center as easy as I could hit it to left. And where do most pitchers want to go? They want to go down and away when they need a strike or or away when they need a strike. Give me that strike. I took that away from them.
1: Yeah. And where do most miss? Most miss middle, middle in. You know the thing that you know the thing
0: that what exactly what you're talking about? You know who used to wear me out, Mac when I was young was Al Leiter. And what did he do? He threw a cutter every pitch. And then my Mm -hmm. ego gets in the way. I'm going to show him. He keeps coming in here. And I'd rip one off the tarp for a strike one. (laughs) I really showed him, didn't I? When I finally got a little bit older and a little wiser, and I thought, well, I'm going to quit looking for that stupid cutter in because usually it's a ball. Okay. I chase it or I hook it. I'm going to look for out over the plate and wait for when that cutter in is in the middle of the plate. That's when I'm that going to hurt insane. it. Right. right. Not it's when it's point. right on the edge.
1: Yeah. You know? So that's my point. So you fell in the trap, which I've done that too. And it's like, I'm I'm speaking from experience because of my failures. It's like, so you're, right. you're middle up and away, And all of a sudden they say, Hey, Al Leiter's pitch tonight. Okay. Well, I'm going to look for cutter in. Well, that's his <laughs> out. pitch, And that's right. not even your strength. And you're going, you're like, and then I, if I was your head, he goes like, what are you doing? Come on. It's like, you have to wait him out to the point of Doug Rader. There's gonna be nights that he is going to stick it up your you know what. And it's like you tap it, you just tap tip your hat to him, and it's like, okay, I'll move on. But out lighter is not gonna hit that zone every time. It's just like Mario Rivera is not gonna hit it all the time. It's like Randy Johnson didn't gonna hit it all the time. It's just all those guys. It's like, but you have to understand you're gonna make and have a successful major league career. If you stay in your hot zone and you make a living on hitting pitchers mistakes, guaranteed.
0: That is awesome. You went to the Dodgers. You went to the Padres. You were a bench coach. You like that? And what was the biggest thing? You retired. No one last year. I believe you're on the field was 18. Yeah. Well, that was. Did you notice a big difference in that 17 year gap? Just not only how the game is played, Mm -hmm. but the personalities of the players just. The yeah. overall everything. How big of a difference did you notice from player to 2018 bench
1: coach? Their work ethic. wasn't as a, their work ethic. Well, it's just, um, you know, and I, I think social media got a big play in that stuff. And, you know, guys, uh, it, was, it was sort of, listen, I enjoy my time in San Diego. Um, you know, it's just uh, we weren't given the best team at all um uh, unfortunately for andy green i i really i really thought andy green might get a job this year uh, managing somewhere um it's un- one of the smartest guys i've ever been around and to me it's it was like being next to tony Larusa. um i think it was the bench coach thing it was just like it was uh it was a different thing it was a challenge i took it as a challenge to be a bench coach um you know um it was one of those things where I didn't have my thumb on really anything hitting wise I didn't have my thumb on anything it's like I, I sort of felt like I wasn't really having it like, it was just a weird feeling going to the ballpark every day let's just tell you I, I I I was shagging at 1 130 out in the shagging a lot let's just say that for early hitters that's that that was what I was doing and I was sitting out there going what am I doing it's like you know, because uh, you know, it's like we had two, three hitting coaches, and you know, you can't, you know, I, you know, it's just like the the kids today is what, but what I saw there was, the the work ethic isn't in, isn't what I thought it could be, and uh, but I didn't, I I didn't have a much of a voice down there, and um, you know, and then then my sons got to the age where you know I had another year left in my contract, and I walked away from that because. I just thought you know, listen. I, I want to be with my sons. They were freshman, sophomore in high school, and we had to go through all that travel stuff. and And uh, they were a little bit late to the um, late to it, but you know, things have worked out. But it's just like, um, you know, didn't get any calls to any interviews for any managerial jobs. I thought maybe that might be a, a you know one of those things, but um, yeah, it was it was uh, I. The hitting, listen, hitting coach is probably one of the toughest jobs in the sport itself. It's just, like I said, like when I got back into it, it it was a, I mean, man, if you've, <laughs> it's tough when you have to take on everybody's personality and, and not everybody's feeling great every day. You get blamed for the guys not doing well, Um, you know, but the thing is, is I just enjoy passing on knowledge. And and the thing is, it's like I I tell them, I I go, look, I'm passing this stuff to you. I didn't really learn how to hit till I was 26, 27 years old. (laughs) You know, if I pass on to you when you're like 22, 23 years old, you're ahead of the ball game. You know, it's just about throwing that fishing line out and see if somebody gets a bite. You know, I can see somebody's mind working, you know. Um, But unfortunately it's like uh, coaching days are over in the big leagues. I've never had a call since I walked away from it, but I really enjoy watching my kids play just like you watch your kids play. And and, uh, hopefully I got years, years more of doing that.
0: When I was a kid at SC, I'm watching you guys and those early A's teams. And they were fun to watch, you know, with Ricky. And it was the Bash brothers and it was Eck. And uh, Dave mm. Stewart, who who, you know, I was a few years away from getting to the big leagues, but I was at SC 88, 89, 90, and I ended up getting to the big leagues in 92 and got to to face some of those guys. Uh, what do you remember about those early years? You won the world series in 1989. That was the Bay Bridge when that collapsed. Yeah. Uh take me take me through that 89 season. It was your world champion? You won a world series uh, championship as a coach, you won one as a player, 89. Just take me through the 89 and that whole Young A's team that everybody was watching, always the favorite, went to the World Series in 90, got beat by a Reds team that nobody expected. Just sum up well, those
1: 88 got beat by the Dodger team that yeah. wasn't expected either. Well, I, I, listen, I was blessed, absolutely blessed. You know, eighty. Well, I got called up in you know the end of '86, and then I won the job or won a spot. I was the last guy in '87. '87, I think we finished around. I think close to 500, maybe a little bit over 500. And then '88, we go into spring training. And this is something that, if you look at all the most of the World Series teams that have won the shit probably the last 20 some odd years or more, what do they always have? They always have. Really good homegrown players, and that's what Oakland was. It, I mean, it, was, it was a bed of homegrown players. I mean, um, you look at Terry Steinbach behind the plate, myself at first base. Um, you look at uh, Tony Phillips at second base, Walt Weiss at shortstop. Carney Lancer was not homegrown player, but he was our captain at third base. You got Stan Javier out there in center field. Uh, he was utility center field, along with Dave Henderson, and then we went out and we got, um, and then we we got, you know, I mean, the, the Haas family, the owners of Levi Strauss, were the owners back in those days. And when Tony and Dave Duncan went up, you know, at the you know bet trade deadline and talked to Sandy Allerson and Walt Jockety and and Walter Haas and Walter Junior Haas and. And they said, what do you need? And they would pretty much do what they need to do, you know, bringing in Ricky, you know, um, bringing in these little free agents, making trades, Willie McGee, Randy, uh, Willie Randolph back in those days. I mean, it, it was just like it was incredible. And it was like they knew what they had, but it all started with the nucleus of the minor league. And it just seems like they all they still do it. I mean, think about it. Un- Even though they're Oakland's going through some really hard times the last few years they still really know how to develop. And that's how you start with a championship team. And I was lucky enough to be in 88. um, 88 team was fantastic. We got our butts beat. Why? I don't really know. It just the Dodgers were hot. It just seems like the hottest team at the end of the year ends up winning it. I think, you know, 88, 89, and 90, I think we – Obviously the leagues were different. There was only two two leagues, right? We never played the national league. There was no interleague play. So we usually wrapped up our winning our division like three weeks before the season was over, sometimes. So we had a big lull. And you see how it really hurts a lot of teams. They're talking about it now in the World Series. The teams that win hundred games, they're out in the first round. Mm-hmm. And but you know, I was really, really lucky about being on that team, we had great nucleus. Um, and then 89, we learned from the loss of 88. In 89, we came to, we, we had a chip on our shoulder in 89. And it was funny, joking, even being around Tony. It's just like it, it was one of those teams where you just threw the balls and bats out there, and we were going to kick your ass. And it was just that we were that good. Unfortunately, uh, we had a horrendous earthquake that that stopped the play um and and to um um you know we we had to go down to we had to go down to Phoenix and practice down in Phoenix for uh, five or six days and it was ten days later and we come back and we 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 um, won out for for nothing against the Giants um but it was it was one of those again you hear it all the time it is it's a childhood dream um come true that you know, you sit there as a young kid and thinking about, I mean, I used to watch baseball all the time when I was a kid. I used to, I still remember laying on the floor, seeing Hank Aaron hitting, you know, seven fifteen, and, and it was just like incredible off Al Downing. And it's just, I was laying on the floor watching that and um, Vince Scully making the call and, and, you know, and then all of a sudden you, you get an opportunity to be in one of those great games and, and, historic game World Series in my third year, being in a World Series my second year, then being and winning a World Series in my third year, being in a World Series in my fourth year and getting smoked, but still the experience of that, and then not getting back into the playoffs until 92. And then unfortunately, as I was older uh, in St. Louis, uh, 2000, 2001, unfortunately, I had two injuries that um, really didn't get to play at all uh, much in those playoffs and, and didn't advance very well. But um, boy, I wish I would have had another shot at that being healthy and stuff. But I mean, experience that um, and I got the trophies, having it in my, in my office and uh, one of the little miniature trophies, you know, we got a chance to yeah, buy yeah. one of those things. And yeah, those, are, Yeah, obviously the trophy is a little bit different looking now, but it's, it's the one with all the flags on it and stuff. So yeah, um, just an incredible feat. I'm something I'm very proud of. Very proud of being an Oakland A. Um, and unfortunately, what what's happening with Oakland up there, it's very unfortunate what's happening up there. And um, but I was very proud to be in Oakland A.
0: We've had I have had Tony on the on the program, and I know how fond he is of you. I had a I had a very healthy respect for a Tony LaRusse. I played against him for years and years with Oakland with uh St. Louis, I was, I was tease him. I teased him when he came on the show. I said, well, you can't drill me on the on this show. <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he got such a bad rap for that shit, dude. But, you know, I always had a real healthy respect for him and his ball clubs. Um, just tell me, and and you know, it comes up when you were mentioning Walt Weiss, good buddy of mine, uh, a Willie McGee. It, it seems like Tony always... The, the players that he had in Oakland, they were always welcome wherever he was, and he was always trying to go get his guys. Just wrap up Tony a, a little bit and your relationship with him over the years.
1: Well, he was like a second father to me. You know, I, pr- I pretty much owe everything to Tony to give me that shot in, um, in 87 in spring training. You know, um, I got called up in 86, at the end of 86 when he – you know, he got – he was fired um, in, I believe it was 86. He got fired by the White Sox and happened in the uh, at the all-star break in 86. He was hired by the Oakland A's and the Haas family. So I got to play for him at the end of my, uh, just a little cup of coffee I had in 86. And then I went into spring training in 87. You know, you know, in the minor leagues, they had me working at third base. You know, it was the first base at USC. They moved me over to the third base because of my arm. And we had another first baseman that, he was left-handed hitter, Rob Nelson, that he was just a first baseman. And so they tried to make, um, accommodating for both of us. And then it turned out that I went back to first base after a while. But I mean, when I got brought up in 86, I was a third baseman, but you know, Tony, Tony was everything. He, he, you know, he, um, he just expects you to be ready to play every day. You know, I laugh at some of these, some of the guys that didn't really care for playing for him and it's just like I sit there, the only reason why he didn't like playing for him is because he expects you to be ready to play every day. You don't need to take a day off. I mean, think about it. You're only working three, three and a half hours a day. Is it that really hard to, to to tow it up for three, three and a half hours a day and to play your ass off? It's not it's not that hard. And majority of the players that didn't care for Tony were the players that didn't want to play hard every day. And that's what I have to say about that. He expected, you know, and he pushed me, he pushed me. I um, mean, he got my ass and he made me better. And that's a, that that's such a misconception today, which I don't, I just don't understand why you can't raise your voice at a young kid to get it, to get the best out of them. It means you care about that person. You're trying to get a little bit more out of that person, that athlete, just because it's like, you might not see them getting, you know, putting their best effort. And if somebody wants to raise your voice, it's like today it's, it's, it's frowned upon. It's like, it's incredible. It's like, I enjoyed it and it made me better. Cause I realized like, wow, he's, he sees something to me. He's, he's trying to get more out of me. He's trying to push me. Um, And then, you know, again, it's like one hell of a manager. I mean, you talk, you talk about, we talked earlier about analytics and stuff like that. Him and Dave Duncan were doing analytics back in the 80s when when computers were were basically being started in somebody's garage. You know, it's like, so, you know, Dave Duncan had his own analytics, but he had a pin, all these colored pins. He had them in his big three-ring binders. He had every team, every pitcher, every player, every hitter. He knew exactly where to play everybody. We had shifts before shifts were even a big thing. You know, and, and we knew we had game plans against everybody. And it started with, you know, I think Tony, Tony and Dave Duncan really started that revolution. And then obviously it's changed hands and, you know, they have these algorithms now that, you know, guys that basically have never played the game that were smart kids in school that are doing these algorithms. Now, now they're dictating baseball. That's now as far as this game has changed but dave duncan and, and tony were I mean I mean it's it's unbelievable how I would look into tony after every pitch and and he would look at almost almost every player in the and he was doing this along you know if he saw something a little bit off I mean it's like I mean wait a minute a manager really a manager doing that I mean, ask, ask your that's brothers that's he do that, that.
0: Yeah, how's your that's brother? If he
1: does that in Yankee Save with the Yankees, if you look at every player and go, "Hey, no, move a little bit," "Hey, no, 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 over here, over here," it doesn't yeah. happen today. You know why? It's because they they give him a little little card and they got it in their back pocket today. You know, um, but on top of that, though, he made us use our own mind too. It's like it's like we, he had to. Un- you had to understand that you had to remember these guys too. So, but he was awesome. He was awesome, and uh, you know, I just again a uh, father figure love him to death and i i owe everything to him
0: i'm gonna do a little rapid fire throughout your life your career going to start at usc one sentence whatever comes to your mind two guys i'm going to pick at, at usc one of them we was teammates of both of us at different ends of our lives first one's randy johnson sc teammate
1: sc teammate that uh couldn't hit the side of a barn in college and became a hall of famer.
0: <laughs> this is a, a a weird one, but I picked it for this reason. I think you got him probably when he was a freshman. I got him when he was a fifth year senior, Rodney Pete.
1: No, I never had him. You never had Pete. No, you wasn't there. Oh, what, oh, what a brutal so. one! All right, no, he didn't play baseball. No, he I had. Was, I, had uh, he was I had. my I had, third I had,
0: baseman. He was my third baseman. Oh, was he? I my had freshman uh, year. I thought you played with him.
1: No, I had Jack Del Rio and Jeff Brown. Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio is probably oh, okay. one of the biggest catchers of the time in, in college baseball and became a successful middle linebacker in the NFL and a successful head coach in the NFL. And I think he's defensive coordinator for uh, Washington right now.
0: All right, we're moving on to Oakland. Uh, Ricky.
1: <laughs> two. I don't know I if mean- that's he <laughs> Ricky. The nicest, great. I mean, the fun, one of the most fun human beings to be around. The only player that I've ever played with that when the light turned on, he turned up his game like for the playoffs. It was absolutely incredible. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Eckersley. <laughs> Another great human being, but a lot of people don't understand that he smoked a pack of cigarettes before he went down to the dugout or went down to the bullpen. And he was so nervous. You couldn't stick a hay needle up his ass when he was on the mound.
0: (laughs) Uh, Jimmy Edmonds.
1: Jimmy Edmonds. Wow. Jimmy Edmonds, probably the first hitter. That I've ever played with that strictly hit on tips only. Really? He could only, when he was struggling, he didn't have a tip on the pitcher.
0: Willie McGee.
1: Can I go back to that? I know that's one second. I mean, can I go back to that one sentence? So I'll give you a little example about Jimmy Edmonds. Jimmy Edmonds absolutely raked Randy Johnson because Randy Johnson tipped all the time, right? So he would, he would, he would, he told me this one day we were in Arizona. He's like, dude, you got to do it. He's doing this or doing whatever. And I'm like, all right. So I tried it. First at bat, I went up there and I tried it. Struck me out. I was like, dude, I can't see that. I can't concentrate on that shit. I'm going to go back to where he releases the ball and I'm just going to check out the rotation. I'm going to look in my hot zone. Next at bat, Homer. I did it on my own. (laughs) So I was never one of those guys that looked at tips. (laughs) Jimmy Edmund was absolutely the best. and he He absolutely raked Randy Johnson.
0: Isn't it amazing how those guys that would? It's, you mentioned a uh, teammate of yours who was a teammate of mine, and I loved him to death, Stan Javier. He was a guy that would always well, be picking yes. out idiosyncrasies. Yeah. And you're right. For me, unless it was so blatantly obvious where I didn't have to look for anything, mm-hmm. I, I, I just wasn't good at that. I didn't have. That and it's and it's fascinating for me. It just shows how different we are as hitters. To hear a guy like a Jimmy Evans, he gets a tip, and it's like, wow, he goes to a different level, confidence wise, because because right. of the knowledge he has. Whereas me, it's like I don't really see what you're saying.
1: Right, I trusted like I didn't like that because I trusted my eyes. I trusted that box, and I got to the point where I can see fingernails and knuckles and you know change ups and this and stuff. And I I, I trusted that more than. I'm going to trust this little tip and then take me off my game plan to what we talked way earlier about game planning. And, you know, I wanted to stay who I was
0: 2001 your last year, you got to play, you got to play with this guy. We've had him on the show. I played against him for a long time. Albert Pujols.
1: Well, he better be a hundred percent first time hall of famer in five years. Um, absolutely incredible if, if there's i don't have a lot of regrets because everything in life is to me is that's meant to happen um yeah i wish i would have played a few more years left you know uh, with him because uh, i knew he was great when i saw him in spring training and it's a story this is going to be longer than one sentence but the story that i've always said it's like tony LaRussa and, and walt jockey they were not going to Put him on the team in 2001. And this guy would probably hit 600 in spring training. He was playing outfield. He was playing infield. This guy was leaving his feet for everything. And I'm like, are you kidding me, Tony? This, I mean, seriously, this will be the worst move in your career if you don't put this guy on this team. We need this guy. I don't care where he plays. You know, obviously he wasn't going to play first base because I had it, but they had him at third base, left field. And it wasn't until the last week of spring training when Bobby Benilla pulled his hamstring. And they had to put him on the DL at the time it was called DL. Now it's the IL, but, and that, that's how uh, Albert made the ball club. But Hall of Famer to me, a great friend, still in contact with him. Uh, when he was playing, he would, we live in the same area. He and I would meet pretty much every all-star break and we would hit and go, go over what he was doing. And um, unfortunately when he started having his foot problems, he started having his knee problems. And when you lose your base, you lose everything. And then he got it towards the last year and a half of his career. And he had a, he had a ball playing. And when he got let go with the angels, he had a ball going to the Dodgers. And then he had an unbelievable time, finish up his career back in St. Louis.
0: Yeah. And, and, Wow. I, I remember him as a rookie, and I, he went on a Nike trip with us. <clears throat> we were kind of giving the rookie treatment, but we all knew how good he was. I mean, his wow. rookie year, he hit 329-37 as, oh. as a rookie. Oh. And uh, I remember saying, Albert, did you get my golf bag? Get it <laughs> Get it over here. Get it packed in. And he was like, <laughs> yes, Mr. Boone. And, yes. We all oh, yeah, yeah. Good. We yeah. all knew how good he was going to be and we oh knew a few gosh. years from now everybody was going to be getting his stuff. So Oh, uh, what a what, cool. an,
1: uh, what an incredible and 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 the one thing I love about how intense he was and I loved it because hey, the great ones are intense. I mean, there's yeah. a reason why he is as great as he is and I mean, think about it. Booney. Like, had
0: 2200 ribbies. Think 2, about 2200.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Think about this. It's a though. joke. The he the greatest First 10 years of anybody that's ever played this game. First 10 years. Think about of the thousands of players that played and put these spikes on and played this game. And he is the greatest in the first 10 years. And unfortunately, it would have been another great 10 years after that, but his foot and knee problems. But just a real special person and a friend of mine.
0: And the last guy who rode that wave with you was uh sammy sosa i know at first you guys weren't buddies but you did i mean you're gonna be you're gonna be with him yeah we're linked for the rest of you're married for the rest of time that's just life yeah Uh, well it seemed like he was the outgoing guy when i talked about you Mm -hmm. as the player that you you didn't sign. you you know what you signed up for and, and and you knew what came with it but you could have done without it it seemed like sammy was the opposite like he kind of liked yeah. that that spotlight and and uh putting that you know smile and i mean that's sammy was a showman that's what he did yeah
1: absolutely and you know and and i get that asked a lot too um i don't i don't i don't know sammy very well at all i just know sammy from being on the the ball field um saying hi to him doing the stuff and and then what happened that night on 98 98 it, it was just that that just happened. that was just just happened. Dude. He came in and we hugged each other and did that stuff but it, it was just one of those things where it's like yeah he was like you imagine him today with social media and and uh, you know it's just like I mean he, he was a social media, he'd be a social media darling and just listen I mean up until when he got 20 home runs in June and put him put himself on the map, it's like he was a, he was a nice player. In the game, right? He was a nice player, but he wasn't well-known. I mean, it's like I was – everybody thought it was going to be me and Ken Griffey because me and Ken Griffey for over the years in Oakland and St. Louis, we would go back and forth for the the home run title. And so, you know, I always thought it was Ken Griffey, and then all of a sudden Sammy hits 20 in June, and, oh, here we are. We're on this (laughs) one. It's a hell of a race. Let's do it. Um, But I I enjoyed being around him. Um, Again, I have not – talked to him for 20 22 23 years so ever since the last game I ever played against him that was the last time I ever saw him or talked to him so I wish him well I, I you know I hopefully he 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 can work out things and do something to come back to Chicago I know Chicago loves him and they, they want him back the cub fans and so um but I wish him well and hopefully someday that he and I can reconnect.
0: I'll let you get out of here in a second, but I had to talk to you about this because this, this isn't talked about that often. You're you're an A's Hall of Famer. You're a Cardinals Hall of Famer. I'm not going to ask about the Hall of Fame. You've been asked about that a million times. I got my own, uh, I got my own feelings about that. What's going on mm-hmm. there? But um, what's re- something that's really cool to me? Uh, you're part of that All Century team. You got picked for it. It was 1999. Yeah. Uh, I was on the Braves that one year. It was during the World Series when you guys came in, right? Um, how special is that? I think when I look at Mark McGuire, I know you know I know Big Mac that I played against. The thing that bothers me a little bit is everybody, you know, you're known for you're you're kind of like Hank Aaron. You're known as a home run hitter. I, but but I said Big Mac when he was in St. Louis doing that, he was a hitter, man. He wasn't yeah. just a home run hitter. I he came a pain in the ass. Yeah. It was a right. pain in the ass to get out. I mean, right. you hit two ninety nine that year. A couple years later, you hit three twelve, or it was a couple years yeah. early. But well, you weren't just I, a home I run hitter. It, yeah. You were a tough. You were a tough out.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, that's it's to our game plan and be. You know, obviously, experience is everything. Uh, but being on that field in Atlanta was incredible, and being up in the box um, watching the game, <laughs> I'm just sitting there with you know, Warren Spahn, Hank Aaron, Pete Rose. I mean, just name. It. It's just like, we're, we're sitting in there just like, I'm like, I'm with some buddies. I remember Billy Andrade, uh, PJ golfer at the time. He lives in Atlanta and we're sitting in there and I'm just like, this is, I mean, this is one of those, those moments you sit there and go, do I really belong? Right. I mean, I used to watch these guys as a kid. Now I'm on, on stage with them an all century team. And then they'll go back, go back, um, to another great moment with all these guys was uh, the 99 all-star game in Boston. That was probably other than the moment in, in uh, 99, the world's, I mean the, I mean the world series that you were at the all-star game and um, no, not 99, 98, sorry, 98 in Boston. Sorry. In Boston, yeah. Yeah. When they brought uh, Ted Williams out on the, on in every living hall of famer and, all the great players in the game at that time were conjugated on the mound and Ted Williams is there. Um, and probably one other than the time in Atlanta, that was probably one of the greatest moments of my life when Ted Williams at the time obviously was losing his sight and he's in the cart and you can see, um, Tony Gwynn and, and, and Cal Ripken over, and then he's like, hey, McGuire, where's McGuire at? And I'm like, I'm right here. I'm right here, Ted. And he goes, hey, let me ask you a question. He goes, does that ever smell like burnt wood when you foul a ball back? And I started laughing. I said, dude, I said, Ted, I said, it happens to me all the time. He goes, that, yeah. that's what I thought. It used to happen to me all the time, too. And then that was it. I'm like, oh, my God. I think those are the last words I ever said to said to him and, and, uh, God rest. And I mean, it's just like, uh, but what a great moment, two great moments. Sorry. I, I sort of topped your one there. No, uh, I, I, mean, I, I love I it. I mean, it's all century team and that all-star cause you'll never get those. I mean, obviously a bunch of passed on, but those, that time was incredible. <laughs> excuse me. Incredible.
0: What do you want your great grandkids to know about
1: you? I'm just a down, down home, just a good-hearted, very soft, understanding father, former athlete that worked his ass off for everything he has, everything he's had and has today. Um, and the thing is, is like I, you, you have to push yourself and you have to understand what failure is all about. And believe me, I've had enough failures. I've had enough walls in front of my face that I've had to knock through and not thinking that I can ever get through those things. But it's the times that you get through those things that you sit there and go, holy shit. Wow. Imagine what it would be like if I didn't bust down that wall. And I don't want my kids, my grandkids to ever give up on anything because um, you won't know until you force yourself through that.
0: Awesome, Mark McGuire. It's been a pleasure, man. This is, this is a lot of
1: fun catching
0: up and 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 yeah. Doing thank you
1: very much. Appreciate those you, you... Uh, the invitation, and um, again, it was great seeing you up at SC, and and uh, hopefully our paths will, will cross sometime soon. Uh, paths will cross sometime
0: too. For those of you watching this on on YouTube, welcome for listening. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.